Good morning, Dayspring, and all the listeners around the world. We greet you this morning in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful morning, and the Lord has blessed us tremendously throughout the week. Even though we've been closed in, it's been a good week. Amen. I want to uh, I want to talk to you this morning on kind of a personal note with this uh, this particular message. Because of COVID-19, there are a lot of people who've been uh, separated, they're isolated, and I wanted to speak to them this morning, and this is kind of a, a prelude to what really I want to talk to you about next week. But what I want to do is to bring a message of reconciliation. I, I want us to come back together as a body. I'm not speaking specifically of people coming to the house of the Lord, but coming together as a family of God. We want to be one once again. I believe that whenever there is a pandemic of this type, that God is doing something. One, he's showing himself to be God. But the second thing that always happens at the end of these things is God blesses mightily. And it would be hard to think that some of you would not be able to participate in those blessings. In order to be able to receive from God, you must be in fellowship with God. So today I really want to talk to you about coming together as a body, as being one. And I'm going to reach out to a lot of people who I believe are disaffected, and I want them to understand that this is not an appeal to folks who have, quote, left church or left this church but it's an appeal to those who were once part of the body of Christ to come home. Amen? So with that, let's go to uh, the book of Romans, chapter 5. The book of Romans, chapter 5. The Bible says here, uh, we want to begin at uh, verse 9. Well, not, verse 8, let's go to verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. That means that what's coming next, we're covered. The Bible says this. It says uh, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So I really want to talk to you on this thought this morning. Have you been reconciled? Have you? And the question still remains for a lot of saints. Have you been reconciled? Has somebody hurt you? Somebody said something they shouldn't have said, did something they shouldn't have done. Something happened to get you in that place. And today we're going to try to find out what that is and what we can do about it. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this day. And God, we thank you for this opportunity to speak your word to a people with listening ears. We thank you that their hearts are open and their minds are prepared. And God, we know that it is your presence that's going to do the work. So, God, we release you right now to minister to every soul that's listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, last week we told you this. Uh, we told you that there is a reason that we need to repent. As a matter of fact, last, year, last week we talked to you about the title, What Shall We Do? When people heard the word of God, they were touched by that word. And whenever people are touched, they have questions. What, what do I do now? What's next? And that's why today we want to take you to the next step. Now, whenever we see uh, this term, uh, God demonstrated his own love that while we were sinners, he still died for us. This really is an exposition of John 3.16. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the Bible tells us that God from the beginning decided that he was going to save us no matter what we did. Now that's a wonderful thing because the Bible says while we were rebellious and wicked, doing everything that we were big, big and bad enough to do, Christ died for us. He didn't die for you. He didn't wait for you to get good. And that's the problem with church today. Too many people wait to get good before they come to church. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were wicked people, God died for us. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> God did not allow Christ to die for lovable people. But he died for people who were unlovable. Amen. And, and if God could love us even while we were sinners, how much more does he love us when we were obedient? So he blessed us all those years without us being where we needed to be. And yet he continues to bless us even now. Amen. So then uh, uh, Paul goes on to use a term justification, justification. Now, justification is the act where God declares that uh, a sinful person is righteous. In other words, God says that he justifies people by allowing Jesus to become their righteousness. So he, he uses a substitutionary term here. He says you're justified because of what Christ did. So he says that justification is act whereby a sinful person is righteous based on a belief and trust in Jesus Christ. So God bases our justification on the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. We see that in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his, forbe uh, his forbearance. God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Come on, you just got a free get out of jail card. Doesn't matter what you did. He said, it's covered. Amen. I told you last week, some of us are held up by the sins of our past. Get over it. Amen. So the Bible goes on to say that because of that, we have peace with God. And having peace with God is a little different than peace of God. Peace with God means that the, the, the rebellion against God is no longer in our hearts. In other words, when God changes our hearts, we are no longer his enemy. We're not fighting with God anymore. Come on, a lot of people who are saved, born again, are still fighting with God because they won't accept what Christ did. Now, the, the truth of that is, you notice that a lot of people are out of place. What you mean? There are a lot of people who should be in some ministry doing something for somebody 
but they're not doing it because, and you fill in the blank. So the Bible said they don't have peace with God. What? You're not at peace when you're not where you're supposed to be. You don't have any peace when you're not doing what you are called to do. Now, one thing I need to say is that God himself will not allow you to have peace while you're out of place. All right. Some people say, well, I'm okay. Let me stop and tell you something. Don't ever confuse happiness with blessed. What you talking about? Listen to me very carefully. Some people have spent most of their life trying to be happy. So if things don't go right, I'm going to find a place where I'm happy. I'm going to move over here because it's comfortable. Or I'm going to go over there because it's comfortable. That's not the will of God. Wait a minute. That don't sound right. Well, Pastor, you said there's a difference between happiness and blessed. Well, if you're doing the will of God, you're blessed, which means that God is in control and he is directing your life, which means everything, according to Romans 8, 28, is going to work together for your good. But all the stuff, the good and the bad. So you can't find a place where you're happy because happiness is only a state of your mind. And that's a problem because we get comfortable because we feel good. But what about those people you left behind? What about those people that God raised up who need ministry, but you're not there to provide it? Well, let's go on. This is a problem for the church. It's what I call our present problem. The problem with the church is this, is that we have been hurt. We have uh, uh, lived and languished in unforgiveness. Yes, yes, I'm talking about saints. Uh, one of the biggest problems we have in church today is called pride. Let me, let me make sure I define a couple of terms here because I need you to make sure you understand it. Pride, according to the psychological dictionary, is an exaggerated respect of self. It's an exaggerated respect of self. People who are always looking to be respected are prideful people. Whoa, wait a minute. But say, Pastor, I'm not a proud person, but I want respect. Well, you know, I could, I could use the term that people use all the time, people in Hades want ice water. So, <laughs> but I won't go there because it doesn't sound the same when you say Hades. <laughs> <laughs> But what I will tell you is this. The Bible says in James 4, 6, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, that God himself resists the pride, uh, the proud, excuse me. So what does the Bible say? That when God himself resists you, there's no way you can become what you're supposed to be. You're fighting with God. You're not his friend. You are his enemy. Amen? That's why the Bible says in... Uh, Romans 8 and 7. Let me flip over the page and I'll read it to you. It says, uh, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Pride will not allow you to subject yourself 
to the word of God. Do we understand this? So what happens is when you are a prideful person, you have to always look good. Well, sometimes you can't look good if you're wrong. Mm. Wow. Let's go a little deeper since we're on these psychological terms. Here's another one. It's, it's a psychological term, but you use it all the time. Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Now, in, in, in a psychological dictionary, you'd find the term egocentric. And what it means is simply this. It means that you are interested primarily in yourself and you have an indifference to the concerns of others. I'm concerned about me. How does it affect me? Here we go. What you said to me, what you did to me, what you said about me. Are you with me? So we're at the same place we were when we got prideful. And again, if you're looking for happiness, you're not going to find it unless you first find peace. Amen. Now, <clears throat> if you are self-centered, it does not matter what the other person feels. This is why it's so easy for us to insult or assault people if we're self-centered. You ever, you ever met a person who was prideful and self-centered and they talked always about what they felt, what they needed, and what didn't happen in their life? You ever notice they don't care how it affects you even when they're talking to you? So there's no relationship. You can't be, and I'm skipping way ahead of the message, but you can't be reconciled to God when you can't be reconciled to your brother. So we get to the place where we think that, well, but, but, but you don't know what they said to me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how it made me feel. Sure, we do. So this leads to another disorder. I'm sorry, but this is the message. This disorder is called egocentric predicament. Egocentric predicament. This is real, by the way. I don't make this up. This is real. And what that says is this. It causes you to interpret the thoughts and actions of others only through your own experience. Now, you know what that means? That means that I can only relate to people who are like me. People who had similar experiences as me. But you haven't had a whole lot. Amen. Now, uh, you know, I'm not supposed to use my wife as an illustration, but I'm going to have to use her for this one because I'm here and she ain't, so she can't fight with me. But, but, <laughs> but uh, uh, I worked for 32 years as a police officer. I've seen a lot of stuff been in a lot of situations, both saved and unsaved. I know people. She, on the other hand, has lived a limited life. She sees good people, nice folk, people always in need of help. Well, I need to help them too, but I just have a different way of helping them. So, so what's, what happens is when we have a discussion, she sees things based on her experience. 
I see things based on my experience. Now, let me stop and tell you this. Everybody, listen, everybody is self-centered to some extent. But the key is we're both saved. So we don't see things in the light of what I experienced or she experienced, but what God says. And see, that changes the way we relate to people. It's no longer what's best for me. It's what's best for you. Amen. Amen? And this is what this egocentric uh, predicament is. So one of the first indicators of a person's inability to accept Christ's work is blaming others for their own enslavement. When you find that the problem is not yours, <laughs> it's always somebody else's. You are still enslaved. Now, and again, let me just skip around just a little bit. You know, in this age of computers, that whenever you, you uh, and I might not have all the terms right, but you can, you can straighten me out later. When you download a particular program, before they'll let you move in, into the operation of that program, there's an agreement there. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it says accept or decline. If you accept the terms of the program, you are allowed to use the program. Now, what happens to most people? You do not read the agreement. You just agree. So it's not really acceptance. Now, it may be agreement, but it's not acceptance. So what happens is that we agree when, when it comes to the, 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 the salvation of our life, we agree that God is good. And we agree that he is our eternal savior until he doesn't do what we think he ought to do. And what happens is, it is at that point that we forget that we did not read the agreement. We don't know what the agreement is, but we're still trying to operate as though we agree to the terms. And what God does, and the Bible says this very clearly, that what God does is he, through Christ, reconciles us back to himself. In other words, he, through Christ, brings us in alignment with what he said in the beginning in his agreement. This is what creates a problem for so many people. They think that they can operate without knowing the rules. They got a baseball trying to run, you know, through, to the goal line. You won't get any points for that. See, and, and this is what we do all the time. We're using somebody else's rules to play the game. So when we are hurt, for example, and I know we're, we're off, but we might as well just have a good time with this. When we are hurt, when somebody hurts us, the first thought is to retreat. Because you know what you say. I don't have to take this. This, this is not right. All of a sudden, you know everything that's right now. This is not right. You know, it's amazing. I'm just 
got to take a little turn here. It's amazing that we always know when something ain't right for us, but we can look at somebody else being abused and it does not bother us one bit. How can you be the master of all things right, but you can't see what's going on in your friend's life, your, your, your family's life? This is just not right. So what we do is we decide, we decide because we feel abused, we're going to do something about it. What if, perchance, the agreement says that we have to suffer persecution? What if the Bible says that maybe I did something wrong? What, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Well, I didn't see that in the agreement. Huh? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Wait a minute now. Hold on. So if the agreement says that I'm going to be afflicted, see, nobody read Isaiah 53. So we don't know what it says. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't say except. So therefore, when these things start to happen, we think it's something strange. And it's always somebody else's problem. Huh? Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but what? The Lord delivers us out of all of them. So what happened? I did not allow the affliction to run its course so I could get to deliverance. Do you understand what I'm saying? You didn't stay in the situation long enough. You wanted happiness. If Daniel had a look for happiness, he certainly wouldn't have stayed in there with that line. Shadrach, Meshach, and the big brother would not have stayed there <laughs> if there was an escape clause. And certainly, my Lord Jesus would not have stayed on that cross if there was a way out. But here you are. You're hurt. You're ready to quit. And this is what happened. We quit. So now, now, you found a place where you're happy. But you're happy out of the will of God. This is sad. I, I, I realize it's sad. And I, I, I need to move on. I probably shouldn't be talking about all this right now. But this is, this, this is what the Lord gave me. So how do we change this? How do we change this? And that's the key right there. You want, you want something different in your life. Nobody wants to be in bondage. At least I don't think so. The Bible says this. Here's what he said first. That God demonstrates his love. What does that mean, demonstrate? He shows it to us. And, and as we say in the, in the street, he shows it to us for real. And how does he do that? Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made alive together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and raised up together and made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Mm. So what are we saying here? This shows us, and, and, and this, is, this is really an important key, so I don't want you to miss this. It was God 
who initiated the plan. What? This change was initiated by God. Its foundation was laid while we were still in our sins. It was God's determined purpose to perform it. So it wasn't something that I came up with. I know you think you thought of, you know, I, I need to get saved. Well, that was not exactly what happened. No situations came to the point that God made the road so narrow that you only had one way. If you could have figured another way. I'm, oh, Lord, I'm messing. So the Bible says that there have always been obstacles to this relationship. Amen. And most of these obstacles are the, uh, are the result of, of man. But look, here's what God does. Here's what God does. In, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 26, the Bible says, To demonstrate at this present time his righteousness, that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just and justifier. Now, most people don't like the term just. We don't like that because here's what just means in your terminology, fair. Because, you know, we say, well, that ain't fair. No, it's not. It's just. It's different. When God says this is the way it is, that is just. That is fair. That is right. Why? Because God said so. Amen. So the Bible says that what God does then is he removes uh, the obstacles on his part. And how does he do that? By maintaining his law. That's the first thing. God fulfilled every piece of it. The Bible says that uh, he shows his hatred for sin. If you're doing it wrong, God is going to let you know this is wrong. And then the Bible says that he upholds his justice by maintaining his truth. His truth is everlasting. Amen. So the Bible says at the same time, he pardons us. What? So while I'm doing all my dirt, all my mess, what he's saying is that he is in the process of pardoning me for all that I'm doing, have done, and will do. But then on man's part, the Bible says that man has to remove the unwillingness to be reconciled by subduing or subjecting and changing and sanctifying his heart. Hold it. Wait a minute. Let's take these one at a time. First of all, it's willingness to be reconciled. This is a tough one, y'all. And I will be the first to tell you I don't I don't know why people are this way. Why, when you have a remedy right in front of you, would you refuse to accept it? There's so many people who are upset today because they think somebody needs to forgive them. Well, let me ask the question. If the person doesn't know that they've done anything to you, how are you ever going to get forgiveness from that person? Listen, 
There are people, some of you out there listening to me, you've got folks that have died and gone on to heaven or hell that never forgave you or you get, get an opportunity to forgive them because you're holding something. You're unwilling to be reconciled. In other words, if we once had a relationship, I want to have that relationship again. Brother to brother, sister to sister. That's the relationship I want. No, you don't, you don't have to come to my house. You don't have to come to my church. You don't have to do any of that. But we still, as children of God, have to come together at some point in time. We must be reconciled. So there's an unwillingness to be reconciled. I don't care what they say. I'm not going to apologize. Now, the first thing you need to know is that right there is what we call hard-heartedness. So before you start to talk about somebody, you might want to repent for that. That's, that's a problem. Amen? But the second thing he shows us with this on man's part is that uh, he won't subject himself to change. I'm not going to let you tell me what to do. So you're mad now. You know, every Sunday I used to ask when we had the group together, what you mad about? There's always somebody mad about something. So I always say, what you mad about? And the question is that in most congregations, somebody is mad about or with somebody. Now, I wish, again, I had the answer to that. Why people get mad about something that they have no control over. Now, if I don't have any control over it, here's what I know. I know that it's above my pay grade. Now, if I was a sinner, I know who's in control. But if I'm righteous, I also know who's in control. But I know it's not mine. You know, we used to sing the song, the battle belongs to the Lord. Why am I fighting something I can't win? Then he goes on to say this. He said, I have to sanctify my heart. Well, you got to come to a place where you can, can cleanse your heart. And the only way that comes is by confession. You have to confess. If you're out there today and you're mad with somebody about something, you need to confess that that's a problem. Now, I know we're limited by social distance and what have you. But you know what? If you're mad, if you're mad with me, text me. And I'll call you back. <laughs> and I'll, 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 I'll be willing to submit myself. I'll let you go ahead and go off on me and tell me what you think. huh? And forgive you when you're finished. And love you when it's over. Why is that, Pastor? Because I'm trying to make sure that we are right. We are right with each other. I keep telling folks, I'm an old man trying to get to heaven. I don't know where you're going or what you're doing, but listen, if there's going to be a fault, it's not going to be on my side. Are you still with me? So the Bible says this, I have to overcome this last one. This is the hardest one, and this is for saints. This is the hardest one, overcoming my hatred of God. Wait, hold on here. What are you saying? Oh, pastor, pastor, listen to me. If God so loved you, 
while you were still a sinner, that he was willing to give his only son, Jesus, for you, and you won't accept his forgiveness, you must hate God. See, you got to go, you got to get past the fact that, that you have made something or somebody else the problem when the problem is really the relationship between you and God. Huh? God, if you were a good God, you certainly wouldn't have given me this pastor. You would have gave me somebody I could get along with. Well, he gave you somebody to get along with before you got saved, but that, that's a whole other story. You'll get that later. <laughs> Amen. And then the last part of that, he said, bringing himself into submission to the government of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You have to understand that God has a hierarchy. He doesn't violate it. And he knows exactly who he set in place to do what. You can't change the order. And no matter how mad you get with me, for example, you can't be the pastor. Mm -mm. Not until God says differently. And who wants a mad pastor anyway? <laughs> oh, my. I tell you what, that's a good joke, but I don't know, I'm not going to go there. So... so <laughs> So here's what God says. He says that at some point in time, you have to accept what I did and you have to accept that thing that I did as being sufficient for whatever you are feeling, whatever you are going through. God has fixed it. He has perfected your situation. But you have to understand that the reason that you don't know that it's been done is because you are still seeing things as a natural individual. Amen. So here are two steps in the reconciliation process. Let me give them to you fast because I want to get one more thing in, uh, in your hearing. The first step is that God made the first move. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, here's what the Bible says, uh, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But then the second thing is believers have to accept the word. That's what we've been saying all morning. You have to accept it. Now, before you go any further, you have to accept the whole agreement. Oh, what does that mean? Job said, though he slay me. Yet. And see, there needs to be a yet in you if you have read the whole agreement. The same way Jesus said, nevertheless. Because he had read the whole agreement. Amen? So uh, uh, 2 Corinthians then uh, uh, 5 and 20 says this it says now then we are ambassadors for Christ so once I've been reconciled now I've got to reconcile others now a little touchy here if you were let's just say because I can't talk about it you were a member of Dayspring you got mad you left Okay, people do that. Now, there's a right way to leave any church. But you leave. So far, so good. But then you start calling folks who are still there. So it's not that you are just mad about what happened to you. 
you want to infect other people. See, you're like patient zero in COVID-19. You got a disease, but you're not satisfied to take your little disease and go on to the hospital. No, you want to hang around other people who are healthy and infect them. And once you get them infected, you go on about your business. Bible says once we've been reconciled, you become an ambassador. So the first thing you need to do this morning, if, if I'm talking to you, and I know I'm probably not talking to anybody who will admit this, but you need to go back and apologize to some of those people you said all those nasty things about not only the church, but also about the, the, the leaders in the church. Because that's not, you're not the judge. Amen? And if you led people astray, you're responsible for the lives that you led astray. What happens if those people never get to repent and never come back to church? That's on you. That's on you. One more time. That's on you. Amen. That's not my problem. Amen. But here's why we have a problem. A couple of scriptures real quick. In John chapter 16 and verse 12. Jesus makes it very clear. That our hearing capacity or, or ability is off. What, what are you saying, Pastor? We don't hear things clearly and we never get the full story. That's why we, we, we make up stuff. You're not, well, yeah, I was trying to be nice. No, you're lying. <laughs> you don't hear what he said. God says that, Jesus said it rather. He said, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. All right. If, again, let's go back to me. I'm, I, I'm the responsible party here. If I said something to you that offended you, that means that you couldn't bear what I was saying. Now, listen to me. Write this down. If you couldn't bear to hear what I was saying, does it mean I was wrong? I'm just going to give you a minute to ponder that one. Amen. It's like a tough piece of meat. You might want to put it in some gravy and simmer it for a while so it can, <laughs> so it can, it, it can tenderize. No, 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 no. I'm serious. Does it mean I was wrong or does it mean you just couldn't handle it? Oh. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 4. Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 4. Here's what the Bible teaches us. It says, you have not resisted to bloodshed in, in restraining yourself and receiving this word. I like to say it this way. Uh, I will put it this way. Look, in the street we say this when it says, you have not resisted to, to bloodshed. Don't make me cut you. You know, you come to <laughs> don't make me catch you now. See, here's what's happening. We fight to a certain point. Twelve and four. Twelve and four. 
we get we get to a certain point in our fight and we're ready to quit. And why are we ready to quit? Because it's too hard. What? It's too hard. Now, I tell everybody, at that point that you're ready to quit, right at that point, and I mean right at that point, that's when your deliverance comes. Now, my pastor used to always say that he's the God of 1159. He ain't coming until midnight. So here you are, you done ran 20, 23 hours and 59 minutes being big and bad. But you quit at 11.59 just before your breakthrough. Amen? So what are you saying to me today? I'm saying to you this. That in every heart, there's a measure of enmity against God's holiness. I don't care who you are. There's, there's some in there. Uh, most men won't admit that. And the reason they won't admit it is because 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says this. It says that the God of this, <coughs> this age, this world, whatever you want to call it, world system, has blinded the minds of those who refuse to believe. Amen? So here's what it says now. Look at it very clearly. They don't, they don't believe. They won't believe. So it's not that you can't, but you don't. Amen. So we know this, that because of what that says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, that men don't know their own situation. They don't even know their own condition. A lot of people uh, are lost because they couldn't hear just what we said in John 12. They didn't resist in Hebrews chapter 12 and 4. And now in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, it says they've been blinded, so they really don't understand. Amen? But this is what the Bible says in Colossians 1, uh, and, uh, 1 verse 21 and 22. The Bible says that we were once alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of our evil beliefs. And the Bible says that uh, <clears throat> but now he has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through his death to present us holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Free from accusation. What? So if I understand the whole counsel of God, if I understand the whole Bible, if I read the agreement, then I know that there's a remedy for my situation. Amen? So, when God reconciles, he did three things. First, the Bible says, God reconciles us by Christ's death. Christ died for me, so I could become one with him and the Father. Two, the Bible says that God saves us by Christ's life. Now, when Paul writes this thing, look at, look at how he did it. He went from the hardest thing to the less thing. What does that mean? That means that Christ died. That's a hard thing. He died and was resurrected. Now, if he loved me enough to do that, then don't you think he loves me enough to be part of my life, to be my guide and my direction, 
surely. And the third thing the Bible says is God gives us joy through the atonement or reconciliation of Christ. Joy. What's he talking about? Woo. We say that song, what? I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. How many people today are talking about the joy rather than the hurt? So many people are concerned about what happened to me rather than what Christ has done for me. Now, can I tell you this? James says it this way. I like James because he's very uh, uh, direct. He says, out of the same mouth comes cursing and blessings. And he said, this ought not be so. So here's what I'm saying to you. He loved you so much. Hallelujah. B. Because James says it another way. He says a double-minded man is unstable. And how many ways? All his ways. If you have been hurt, next week I want to show you how you can be reconciled. I want you to see how we can become one again. If you've been hurt by anyone, including any of us here, any of the leaders from the pastor right on down, you let me know. I will apologize. I will pray for you and I will love you. And come on, this is this is the big finish here. You don't ever have to come back. Because I will send you out with a blessing rather than you living under a curse. I love you just that much. So it doesn't matter what you think somebody said. doesn't matter what you think somebody did to you. If they didn't put hands on you, they didn't take your money, they didn't sleep with your spouse, I think we can be all right. We're gonna, we, get, we get along. Amen? All right. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we thank you. We praise you for this day. And God, we thank you for the word that you share to your people. God, I know that you are God Almighty, and I know that you have given me this inspiration all week long to speak to the hearts of your people. And God, I know that because you gave it to me by your Holy Spirit, when they receive it, they will receive it as the word of God. So God, I'm looking forward to reconciling this body, bringing us back as one, the people of God whether they're in this church or any other church around the world. God, I pray that when this pandemic is over, you will have them reconciled to you so they can do what needs to be done to further the kingdom of God. So, God, I thank you for it, and I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.